Uh, there is much trouble in the world, and so what should we do when those things happen? We should go to the Lord. We should go to the Lord in His Word. We should cry out to Him in prayer. And uh, I pray that our time in God's Word this morning would rehearse those realities and truths and comforts afresh. So if you have a Bible, let's go to the book of Acts and the end of chapter 9. This morning we're going to be in verses 32 through 43 of Acts chapter 9. If you are recently joining us, we have been working our way this year through the New Testament book of Acts in a series that I have entitled, The Power to Change the World. Uh, Obviously, we are seeing over these last several days, uh, for the people there over the last several months and years, but we are seeing the reality in Ukraine and in Russia, the very clear reminder that our world is broken by sin. And the very clear reminder that you and I cannot fix it ourselves, right? What the world needs, and we will be reminded this morning, is the power of Jesus Christ who changes lives, who changes nations, who changes our world, who changes the hearts of broken and evil dictators, and who changes the hearts of evil, broken people like me, all of us who need the grace, the glory, and the goodness of our Lord and Savior. And so when things that like what we see now, an unjust invasion and war happen, we ought to do the most powerful thing that we can do, which is fall to our knees and pray. Call upon God and ask Him, Lord, by whatever means you would so ordain that you would bring goodness, that you would bring mercy, that you would bring your perfect mercy and your perfect justice into this situation. Um, This morning I have entitled this uh, Walk Through Acts Chapter 9, God's faithfulness in the miraculous and the mundane. God's faithfulness in the miraculous and in the mundane. What we're going to witness here is walking through a story with the apostle Peter. Um, Most of Acts chapter 9, we are walking through the story of this amazing conversion of Saul, who becomes a believer in Christ. But now here at the end of chapter 9, we get to watch Peter, who afresh gets to trust in the Lord. And what we're going to see is two very brief but incredibly amazing miracles that God is going to do by His matchless power, but through the life of the always unpredictable, always fun, always entertaining, growing faith of the Apostle Peter. Uh, And I'll make one other observation for us, that the ending here of Acts chapter 9 is in many ways a prelude to Acts chapter 10, which is an incredibly important moment where Peter is going to see a vision. God is going to give Peter a vision that will communicate to him and to the world ultimately that the power of salvation is not just for the Jews. The Lord has already said it, but he's going to say it again. It is for Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and and to the entire world. And so this moment here is really driving us to this even bigger moment that's coming in Acts chapter 10. So with that, let me read to us Acts chapter 9. This is verses 32 through 43 this morning. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Leda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Leda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. 
Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's pray and ask for his guidance and blessing over it this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We submit ourselves to your perfect, holy, and inerrant word. We are grateful for the promises. We are grateful for the grace and mercy and the truth that is contained within. Lord, draw our hearts to you afresh this morning by the power of your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Two ways, two ways this morning from this passage that God is faithful to his people. The first is this, and it is the more prominent aspect, perhaps, of this brief passage. God is faithful in the miraculous. God is faithful in the miraculous. God healed Aeneas, and he resurrected Dorcas from the dead. Let's just acknowledge immediately the, word, the name Dorcas. You just feel bad saying it, don't you? We're Tabitha for the rest of the, the morning. Aeneas is in the town of Lida, not far from Samaria, and it is actually the modern-day site of the Tel Aviv airport in Israel. Uh, his very brief story reminds us that we ought to, like Jesus, like Peter, care for those who are sick, who are suffering, those who are hurting, in particular here, those who are paralyzed. Uh, Aeneas couldn't go anywhere under his own power, and in that day and age, he was most likely constantly in pain and was most likely in one way or another socially ostracized because of his disability. Uh, we don't know for sure from the scripture if he was a believer or not, but the fact that he is not included in this sort of citywide conversion that takes place suggests to us maybe that he was a believer already and that he was seeing God work in his life when that healing took place. Uh, but Peter says clearly, Aeneas... Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. This is a miracle. Uh, Chuck Swindoll commenting on this particular note, he says, it was a great miracle. Some of us have been saying to our teenagers for years, rise and make your bed with no result whatsoever. Then Tabitha, not Dorcas, then Tabitha is resurrected from the dead in the seaside town of Joppa, which is a mere 10 miles from Lida. Uh, Tabitha is resurrected, um, ta I'm sorry, Tabitha has been a woman of great Christian character, we see clearly, and she has been using her spiritual gifts of mercy and of service so that the believers there are extremely grieved in her death. But these same believers, having heard about Aeneas a few miles away, had faith that Peter could do a miracle, and so they ask him to come, notice, after she has already died. They say, please come and do something. Both of these miracles very clearly echo Jesus' miracles that have already happened in the Gospels. For example, in Mark chapter 2, verse 11, Jesus heals a paralytic man and says to him, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. 
In Mark chapter 5, Jesus raises Jairus' daughter back to life. You remember this story? And he uses nearly the identical words, Talitha Kumi, which is little girl, I say to you, get up. The ultimate result, though, the ultimate purpose in these miracles we see twice, and that is that people turned to the Lord. Aeneas was healed, and the result, it says, is that people turned to the Lord. Dorcas was resurrected, and it says the purpose is many believed in the Lord. Be clear here, God's mission, His co-mission that we are invited into this very day continually is what is taking place here. God's mission is moving forward. Remember, I have told you repeatedly throughout this series that Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 really is the foundational verse for the entire book and kind of gives us where we are in the story. So let's go back here for just a second and make one observation from Acts 1.8. It says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See here once again that the miracles, the tongues, the spiritual gifts are all by God's power alone given to us, serve to advance the witness. Their purpose is to advance the witness of the gospel, and in particular, they are taking place here in this watershed moment in God's story. Uh, Miracles are extraordinary, right? They are not ordinary. They are extraordinary. They are unique. Today, when we watch football on a Sunday afternoon, we see a great catch and we go, (laughs) a miracle catch. But that would be a stretch, right? Um, Even as believers, we will tend to say things like when somebody comes to Christ, when God saves somebody out of their sin and death and brings them into new life, the new birth, it is a miracle. In a very broad sense of the term miracle, yes, it is a miracle. However, the scripture gives us a very clear and narrow explanation of when the Bible says miracle, what they mean. Um, Miracles are actually very rare in the Scripture, and when they do occur, they occur in a flurry at very specific and very extraordinary moments in time. Uh, Foremost, obviously, is in the life and the ministry of Jesus during His three years of ministry before His death and resurrection. Second to that is now the life and the ministry of the apostles taking place in the book of Acts as well as if we go back to the Old Testament, we'll notice that in the life and the ministry of Moses and Elijah that we see particularly uh, many miracles taking place. In Acts, the miracles are especially prominent at the three movements or expansions of the gospel. That is the first movement into Jerusalem and Judea and the Holy Spirit's movement into those believers. Then into Samaria and the Holy Spirit's movement into those believers. And then ultimately just about to take place, it breaks open into the entire world. So the church here has expanded from Jerusalem into Samaria. We've already seen that. But now it creeps into Lida and Joppa, which are neighbors of both Jerusalem and Samaria and would have been a mixture of both Jews and Gentiles. So here at the end of Acts 9, we are literally days away from the gospel entering this phase 3 and going out to the Gentile world. And that will take place when a Roman centurion, maybe the most likely of unlikelies, a Roman soldier named Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 is going to become this first Gentile believer. And it's going to be through the evangelism of the apostle Peter. Notice this, though, as well. The miracles are always, 
about God's glory and about God's faithfulness. They are never about Peter's glory or even Peter's faithfulness. The Bible always refers to miracles as one of three things, powers, signs, or wonders. Now, we should be very clear. Obviously, miracles have great value in the healing that they accomplish. Aeneas was very grateful to have been healed, and that matters profoundly. But as signs, miracles ultimately point to something beyond just the miracle. What they point to ultimately is the coming of Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, the Son of God, now incarnate in flesh. What it points to is Jesus' Holy Spirit coming and filling all of the believers. So Peter did not heal anyone. We ought to be very clear about that. Nor does any person now heal anyone. God heals people. That is why the text explicitly says, Jesus Christ heals you. Even though Peter is unique, obviously, as he is one of the 12 apostles, he still, notice, doesn't ever make it about himself, and that is instructional for us. By the way, the 12 apostles were clearly in Scripture uniquely called and commissioned and empowered to perform miracles. You and I are not apostles, and there are no new apostles in this day and age. We see that a variety of places, including Luke 9, Luke 10, 2 Corinthians 12, the end of Romans 15. But what I want you to see here is that Peter makes it about Jesus and Peter makes it practically for him about prayer. That Peter focuses in on calling upon God and asking God to do what only God can do because it is always about God's grace and God's power poured out, never about our faithfulness or us doing something or earning something as if it was some sort of a transaction. I do A, B, and C good things, and God will give me D, E, and F as a reward. This is contra the health and wealth or prosperity gospel that is so permeating our culture, particularly in the United States, which will falsely teach us that miracles are a result of your faithfulness. And a lack of miracles are the result of your lack of faithfulness. And let me be absolutely clear. Miracles are the result of one person's faithfulness, Jesus. Jesus does not guarantee miracles. If you don't get healed, let me encourage you, it doesn't mean that you were lacking in faith. Dorcas died, even though she was known for good works and charity. The Apostle Paul himself, we saw this last week and it bears repeating again, three times Paul asked God to be healed. But you notice that Paul was not able to perform a miracle and there is no indication that there was a specific sin that Paul was struggling with or that there was any lack of faith, quite the opposite in Paul. But what was God's answer to him? Paul, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. Good works do not earn God's favor or miracles or his financial blessings. Rather, God in his grace gifts those things according to his riches in glory. But that leaves us with a little bit of a question, right? What do we do today when someone is sick, someone is dying, when we see difficult circumstances like those that we see around the world at present, when we have great need and it would make us want to ask for a miracle of one sort or another? And I would suggest to you this from the scripture. I'm going to read to you from James in just a moment. Here is what we do. We pray. 
We ask in faith, and we trust God with the results. We pray, ask in faith, according to his will, and we trust him with the results. James chapter 5 speaks to us specifically on the topic of what if someone is sick, severely sick. And in verses 13 through 16, he says this, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So practically speaking, I would say to you, when I pray, I ask God for miracles. And when I say that, I mean it in the broad sense of miracles. And I also pray and I ask God that God would work in whatever way he would so ordain, whether that be through the ordinary or the extraordinary. God, heal this person. Would you remove their affliction even now? God, if you choose to work through doctors and nurses and medications, do so and bring glory to your name. I am just asking and I believe that you are the God who takes care of his people and I trust you. I do not, when I pray, demand anything from God. And more importantly, when we pray to God, we turn to sin when we blame God. When we go, God, you should have done it this way. You should have answered the prayer the way that I wanted. We don't pray in that way. And we don't act as if God has somehow wronged us or or done some sort of an injustice to us when out of the riches of his goodness, sovereignty, and glory, he answers better than we can even ask. God is faithful in the miraculous. And God is faithful in the mundane. And I will suggest to you that that reality, number two, that God is faithful in the mundane, is also here in this passage, and it is very much relevant to our daily lives and what we see around the world. Mundane. Mundane means the ordinary. It means the everyday. Uh, This word really became a part of my vocabulary when it was introduced to me uh, in the title of a blog called Mundane Faithfulness. Mundane, everyday faithfulness. Uh, And it's written by a woman named Kara Tippetts, who is writing about her story. Maybe some of you have heard of Kara Tippetts. Jason and Kara Tippetts and their children planted Westside Presbyterian Church in Colorado in 2012. Just following God's call on their lives to daily, in the ordinary way, share the good news of Jesus in their city. Mundanely, through the inevitable ups and downs of life. The same summer that they planted, Kara was diagnosed with breast cancer. She was not healed. She died three years later on March 22, 2015. In her final blog post that she wrote that was posted by her family after she passed away, she wrote this. She says, It seems impossible that this journey has finally come to an end, but I've done gone and flown away to the land of no more tears. Won't you rejoice with me? My pain is gone. My fears are calmed. I'm in the sovereignly good hands of Jesus. He is my forever enough now. What bliss I'm sure I'm enjoying. It's hard for me to separate my feelings for that place and this. I think Kara got it. 
in her final days on earth and certainly now in heaven with the Lord Jesus, she got it. She understood God is faithful and good now and for all eternity. She understood that God is good and faithful in the miraculous and in the mundane, that God is good and faithful when he heals you physically and when he doesn't. She understood that God's ultimate healing is in sending his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sins and give us eternity in the paradise of heaven. See, guys, most of life following Christ is the mundane. Most of following Christ is the daily in which his mercies are still new every morning. And as we sing, great is his faithfulness. Her hope was in the eternal resurrection life that Jesus makes available to every person who puts their faith and hope in King Jesus. Now think about it back to this story here in Acts chapter 9. Peter is the man that God is working in and through. Peter, if you are aware of Peter at all, Peter had some ups and downs, right? In his faith, in his walk, Peter is hilarious in many places in the Scripture, the way that he acts and carries himself in his mundane walk of faith following Jesus. Peter was a fisherman. Jesus saw Peter repairing his nets, and Jesus said to him, "'Come, follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men.'" Matthew chapter 4. Jesus does a miracle, causing Peter to catch a great number of fish, Jesus called Peter, Jesus chose Peter, Jesus loved Peter, not because of anything that Peter had done, but simply out of Jesus' grace and mercy. A little later on, Jesus, uh, I'm sorry, Peter will confess his faith in Jesus. Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And what does Peter say? You are the Christ. You are the living God in Matthew chapter 16. And in the very same conversation, Peter, like a fool, tries to correct Jesus because Jesus goes on to say that the Son of Man must suffer and must die. And Peter goes, no, 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 Jesus, you got that wrong. And what does Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. That's a bad day with Jesus. Jesus' love for him has not changed, but you can see these ups and downs in Peter's life. It is Peter who denied Jesus three times, right? With Peter, filled with his typical wretched self-confidence that we all ought to daily be repenting of, Peter says, even if everyone else bails on you, Jesus, I will always be there for you. And then a servant girl shows up and says, do you know Jesus? And three times Peter says, nope, never heard of him. Down. But then it's Peter and John who run, who race to the empty tomb when the resurrection was first reported to them and they find that Jesus is not there and soon after, Peter was forgiven and recommissioned by the resurrected Jesus. Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus forgave and restored him three times. And Peter will spend the rest of his life preaching the good news of the gospel, surrounded by persecution, surrounded by attack, surrounded by violence. And we know from church history, ultimately martyred, murdered for his faith in Jesus. In this moment, most of the apostles are still in Jerusalem, and from what we can tell from Scripture, that was disobedience on their part. But Peter is moving out. He has now moved out to Lydda and to Joppa because the gospel then and now continues to spread every day by God's grace and power and through the mundane faithfulness and obedience of his people. And the enemy cannot stop it. The gospel is the best news ever. 
of a loving and just God who sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to do for us what we could not do ourselves. Jesus paid the penalty for our sins and our guilt so that in the greatest exchange of all time, my sin could go on Jesus and on his cross and his perfect life and righteousness might be applied to me and all I have to do to receive it is nothing. All I have to do is accept it, believe it, put my faith in him. That's the hardest thing in the world for anybody to do, isn't it? Turn from me, turn from my ways, my abilities, and say, I repent of my sin and I trust in you, Jesus. So my question to all of us, believer or unbeliever, have you joined in God's mission, God's co-mission? As a believer, are you joining in with the Apostle Peter and sharing this same good news? And if you hear the story of Jesus this morning, you go, I don't know him like that, continue to listen. Listen to him in his word, listen by his Holy Spirit and cry out to him and ask for salvation. Guys, I would say this at the end as we think about following Jesus Christ in the mundane of our everyday life. Understand that there is a miracle specifically that changes everything in the mundane. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything about our lives here and now. Dorcas was resurrected because Jesus had first been resurrected. All who are in Christ will be resurrected one day to eternal life because of Jesus' death and resurrection. And the Bible tells us for every believer who has passed away that to be absent from the body is what? To be present with the Lord, says 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8. I have to imagine that the worst moment for any believer for all time had to have been the three days after Jesus' death and before his resurrection. Believers gathered together, the Bible says, locked in a room, terrified for their lives, hiding, feeling hopeless, remembering things that Jesus had said about rising from the dead, but going, how could that possibly be true? Our hope must be empty. Jesus is dead. He's gone. And then John chapter 20. Look at John chapter 20 with me. The scene is the disciples locked in a room with other believers. John chapter 20 verses 19 through 21 changes everything for you and I today in the mundane. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. Just comes in. I'm here, door's locked, Jesus is here. Is that a miracle? Yes. What does Jesus say? Peace be with you. The resurrection changes everything as we walk through the mundane, everyday faith of trusting in Jesus. He says, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Here's the evidence of new peace. I have paid the price for your sins. I am alive. Then the disciples were glad. That is the understatement of all time. When they saw the Lord, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Join the mission that I have established for you. God is faithful in the miraculous and in the mundane, believer. Our hope is in a risen Savior, one who has conquered sin and death on our behalf, who knows our suffering, who uses it for our good, even if we can't do the math on that. 
and who promises to take us home to be with him eternally. I, I don't have categories for how to process war in 2022. I don't have categories for how to understand that people are being killed on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. And I'm worried about if, if my Netflix is going to renew on time. I, I don't have categories for that. But I believe that the way that we comprehend and grasp and step into this is through prayer. It's through caring for these people in every spiritual and practical way that we possibly can, knowing that God is good and faithful and powerful. Um, I want to close by just reading a prayer request to you. Um, we received this email on Friday uh, from some of our church planting partners who are in both Ukraine and Russia. Remember that there are believers in both countries. Uh, this is written by a man that I got to meet just a, a couple months ago um, at a missions conference here in Palm Bay, actually. He writes this. The first message that my wife Anna received early this morning was from her mother. It said we are under attack. This is how we learned that the war that was looming on the horizon for so long had started indeed. Thus, at 5 a.m. local time, something terrible took place in Ukraine, something that we were hoping would never happen, the Russian invasion. Russian troops started invading Ukraine from different directions, aiming at several strategic cities, such as Kiev, the capital where my parents-in-law live, and Kherson, where my mother lives. My parents-in-law are currently hiding in a bomb shelter, and my mother is hiding at her house, <clears throat> which is situated around 15 kilometers or nine miles from the numerous Russian attacks. Please pray for their safety and for the whole Ukraine. Pray that people will turn to God in their distress and that the bloodshed will cease. Today, he's speaking of Friday, today I was planning to lead a training for the 10 pastors from Belarus, Ukraine, and Russia. The kingdom of God does not know these political boundaries. It was canceled due to the current situation between Russia and Ukraine. Everyone is unsettled and in shock trying to process what is going on. It is hard to think of something else. The only thing that is currently roaming in our minds is what should we do? Therefore, our Zoom training event turned into a prayer meeting. This prayer meeting became a gulp of fresh air to me since the brothers were so focused on seeking the Lord in the situation. As he was praying, another one of the pastors from Ukraine mentioned that we are in the midst of spiritual warfare, and this is what we need to focus on. He called us to stand firm in our faith and to be sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit as we seek his wisdom about what to do. He says that the ministry continues, and so we need to seek to serve God in the midst of these extremely difficult events. His prayer became a good reminder to me about the spiritual warfare that human beings involve themselves in at the foot of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in Genesis. By choosing to disobey their creator, they chose to be led astray by Satan. What a battle they signed up for. But thanks be to God who through his perfect plan of salvation provided the way out for us and who reconciled us through the blood of Jesus. Thanks be to God that we are not alone in this spiritual war and that he is always there for us to guide us and to help us. Thus, what should we do now? Jesus said that in the last days there will be wars and rumors of wars. This is what we have been observing with our own eyes for the last hundred years. Terrifying wars and threats of wars that no longer involve just two parties, but instead that affect the whole world. Thus, as we watch with horror at what is happening in Ukraine and pray, let us remember that our true king is on his way. And so let us lift up our eyes as we proclaim, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Please keep Ukraine in your prayers. Pray for its people that they will run to God. 
that they will receive his shelter and his true peace. Please pray that the bloodshed will be stopped. Please pray for our parents. Amen? Let's pray together.